Now we come to the time where we have scripture reading. And so I'm going to read uh, for you uh, four passages in the old uh, in the new in the old and the new testament. So uh, we're going to look at Zephaniah 1:7, the Italian prophet Malachi, Malachi, three one to five, Luke chapter two eleven to fourteen, and Matthew three one to three. Listen and see if you can pick out the themes of these four. Zephaniah 1-7. Be silent before the sovereign Lord. For the day of the Lord is near, and the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those whom he has, invite, he has invited. In Malachi, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come into his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be as a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. And in Luke 2.11, Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared and with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth to those whom his favor rests. In Matthew 3, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice calling the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. May God add the blessing to the reading of his word. Are you ready for Christmas? Ready to go? We're in, the, we're in the beginning stages of thinking about turning our hearts to understanding all that this is involved. And we celebrate it so often uh, for so long that often we just take Christmas for granted. But this year I'm going to take a special focus, as I've mentioned last week, to focus, to go back into the New Testament, go back 2,000 years ago, and to think about uh, 
how Christ as the Messiah is going to be understood by the people back then. And so I've titled this sermon, A Royalty at My Table. Because last week we talked about the Messianic hope, but this time we're going to be talking about this king, this Messiah who's coming, is going to come to be at table. So we're going to go back and try to get an understanding, a biblical understanding of what they understood with the Lord's help. We'll do that. Last week I talked about the Messianic hope, that there's something that they understood that I don't think Americans do understand. As we, as we get into our commercialization and our materialistic world, we get distracted by what we think Christmas is. But we talked about the hope last week being that essential quality that pulls us into the future. It's a hope that is defined as something we expect but we presently do not possess. This is the desire of the heart, the sensuck, that German word of longing, yearning, that I was built for something that I don't have and I can't buy. You may get a gift and that gift will be a, a joy for a while, but then it won't satisfy because you need more than just gifts. You want the giver. But I wanted to go back to this idea that what Christmas was about, the Messiah, Mass, the Mass of the Messiah, put the Messiah, every time you hear the word Christ, Christ is the Greek, Messiah being the Hebrew. There's something about this Messiah that I want to focus on. And so I want to go back to uh, Peter. When Peter in the book of Acts, when he started the ministry after Pentecost, the message from Peter to those who were gathered at Pentecost, he says, therefore let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, Lord and Messiah. Peter understood this. Uh, he would come to understand what Isaiah would talk about, that this Messiah would be, would be great, and his government and his rule as king would be great, and there would be peace when the Messiah would be present. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and holding, upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time, from that time, from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord, as Charlie said, will accomplish this. This Messiah, this Messiah was so disruptive, so interfering with what the Jewish people understood at that time. But I just want you to get a feel. I hope you, I hope you can translate this back in your reading of the Scripture because what you and I are feeling now in our culture, in our time, in the shifting sands is what they were feeling when they were meeting the Messiah for the upstaged. In one sense, when Jesus came in, he upstaged the whole Jewish system. And he became the focal point. It was kind of like they were overtaken, overrun by a, 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 a virus that hit, and his name was Jesus. And this, this change that was going on is like a corporate takeover. He didn't go to the rabbinical system. He didn't call on the rabbis. He didn't call on the leaders. He was doing something radically different. 
he usurped authority in their mind. Who is this guy? And they were raging at a time when their system that was once established, Jesus says, no, 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 I don't want any part of that. And so you see these enemies, Herod coming in and was threatened by Jesus. Where is that king of the Jews? And at that time, Rachel wept for 2,000 men. 2,000 babies were slaughtered. Wasn't a good time. Israel was oppressed, Roman occupation, tax, economic problems, everywhere, disease. But the Pharisees, the Pharisees had power and they weren't caring for the people. Likewise, Paul was angry and the anger of Paul that you, you Christians, you're, you're, you're changing everything. This is not what we want. And therefore the rage of Paul going out and persecuting the Christians. Understand that same rage is the same rage that we have in our country. Whenever you are threatened and you see arguments and anger, you see no peace. The Messiah comes. And the only one word that Bob Woodward caught was the word rage. This is not a political commentary on the president, but it is a commentary on our culture. For this has been going on for the last hundred years. When you take God out of our government and we're no longer under God and you don't have any focus on righteousness, you become tribal. And every tribal group becomes threatened, as the Jews were. Well, Paul knew this when Paul found Christ and he said, the gospel is being threatened and somebody's misleading you. I'm, somebody's distorting the gospel and, and, and they are cursed. So Paul was understanding how you can get passionately, argumentatively moving towards something that's threatening. And of course, I would say likewise, we have lost a lot of our understanding of Christmas because we have a different image. We have a nice image. This is Mark at the Holly Hills as we were doing the Christmas, and it's all about packages, and we tell the Christmas story. But the idea of the Messiah in American culture is not, it's not front and center for us. So I want to get back. and I want to go over some things that will help you get some depth perception on this. In the Old Testament, the Messiah was directly tied to King David and tied to the royal line. And there's something about this kingship, as we talked about, that the Messiah had to follow royalty by his genetic code. But when he stepped on the scene, the question, there were a lot of messiahs, a lot of political messiahs, but this one is he the real Messiah? That's always the issue in the New Testament. Who is this Jesus guy? And is he the one we have been waiting for? Now last week I mentioned that we know Jesus as Savior well. That's very common in our understanding. But I would venture to say 
that you and I both are weaker in our understanding of the threefold ministry of the Messiah. Do you remember what the threefold ministry was? I mentioned last week, this is a test. You know me. What's the threefold ministry of the Messiah? Yes, good. You get you passing grade. Oh, grade on a curve. Uh, prophet, priest, and king. Say those with me. Prophet, priest, and king. What does the prophet do? He addresses the ignorance. The people sitting in the land, they sit in darkness. They did not know. They did not understand. And therefore Christ would have to come and explain who the Father was. was. And, and so the prophet takes care of our ignorance. What does the priest do? takes care of our guilt. Those the blocks that you don't. Priest knows your weakness. That priest knows your shame. That priest knows the blocks that you don't have, that you have that prevent you from worshiping God with all your heart, soul, strength. The priest understands, because the priest is also afflicted as a fallen man. The third one was the king, and the king takes care of the bondage of sin and death locked into a hopelessness where people are distressed and downcast. And those three, those three roles of the Messiah, they are the roles, they are the function. And so the prophetic light, again, scatters that darkness. The prophet wants to get rid of the foolishness in our hearts. And so, therefore, we listen as Jesus, as prophet, would teach us about the wisdom of God. The Messiah would also bring about the mercy of the priest. And everywhere you see Jesus go, goes, he has compassion on those who were afflicted, on those who had demon possessions. And so this Messiah was merciful, compassionate. Likewise, the power of the king would come as a warring king, attacking anything that was your enemy and his enemy. The prophet illuminates the mind by the spirit of enlightenment. The priest soothes the heart and conscience by the spirit of consolation. And the king subdues rebellious inclinations and restores by that spirit of transformation. When the Messiah steps on the scene, everything changes. The prophet shows God to us. The priest leads us to God. And the king joins us together with God and glorifies us with him. That's when we talked about the Old Testament prophet Hosea talking about the heart of God. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. This Messiah is a jealous, zealous Messiah. My heart is turned over. And so when you see Jesus walk onto the scene, he cries out, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, weeping for Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets. And as a hen gathers her, how often I have longed to gather you and your children together. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. This is the sense of This is the context that the Messiah came into. He was born in pain, born under political pressure, born under a a mandate to to take a census from Quirinius and 
ever since he was born, he was a man of sorrows. He knew what was in man's heart. Well, let's talk about the Messiah for a moment. About uh, 60 years ago now, a man named Franz Rosenweg. You don't know Franz. Uh, a new name for you. Uh, this was a, a, a scholar, an intellectual, a philosopher. He's Jewish, and he wrote this book called The Star of Redemption. The interesting thing about Franz was uh, his story was, as being a Jewish person, he had no idea what it meant to be Jewish. His parents didn't train him in, in the rabbinical system, and he had no concept whatsoever. Like me, who didn't grow up in a Christian home, I had no concept of God or spirituality or theology or any of that stuff. But Franz had a cousin who was Jewish who likewise didn't have any understanding of the Jewish faith. And his cousin Hans became a Christian. And then all of a sudden the family were upset because, oh, you know, cousin Hans, there he goes, off doing his thing. And, and they rejected him for becoming a Christian. But they weren't really Jewish. And so uh, Franz said to Hans, I think it's a good thing. Go join the Christians. It's helpful. And so he wrote this book when he was 23 years old because Franz didn't know what it meant to be Jewish. And so as you listen to his story, he says, I'm Jewish, but I don't find anything interesting in the Jewish system that I see it. And why do I keep on identifying myself as a Jew when there's no reason to be a Jew? So he's quite honest. He says, if I'm hungry, do I keep on going hungry? Does principle of being Jewish really satisfy being hungry? No. Does culture satisfy if it's just a title, if it's just a role, if it's just a nationality. Eh. So his cousin needed and wanted a living religion, something that was meaningful, substantive. His parents didn't give him that. Therefore, Franz wrote, Can a man who searches for deeper values and meaning be satisfied to be a Jew merely because he was born a Jew? by carrying an empty label that is used only for legal purposes of marriage and death certificates? You choose. If I've got an empty purse or a handful of money, which would you choose? And at that point in America, 60 years ago, Franz wrote, we're a Christian nation. There are more Christians in America. Everything is the schools, the books, the our, our, everything is about Christ and Christ. So Judaism really is a dead religion. It doesn't have anything. I mean, what? Who are we? And therefore, there's a an, an inability for the Jewish religion to quench the thirst that Christianity had. You get spiritual. You get light there. But he was still confused. What does it mean to be Jewish? And so he wrote this book. And I just want to pick up on some points that he said. He said, the meaning of the Jewish existence, as he was studying this as a 23-year-old man trying to figure out his life, he said there were four, he said three, I added one, I made it four. There are three great marks. The first was the chosen people of God. God elected the Israel. 
That's one of our marks, he, he found out, as he discovered. The second is, we are people of the covenant. From the Abraham covenant, Moses, David, on, we are covenant people. That was a mark. But the third one, he said, it's this Messiah. Distinctive among all religions, we have a Jewish Messiah. And he didn't know much about that, so he studied that. And by extension, the development came later that this Jewish Messiah would have a mission. It would not be a Messiah of Israel only, but he would come to understand that this Messiah was a Messiah for the world. Well, I want to talk about these couple things as Messiah. In order to understand that this royalty is coming, this Messiah, King, is coming to a table near you. The Messiah is King. Now, understand what the Jewish thinking was. If you understand the mind of the Jew, understanding the history of the Jew, it's rooted in a concern of what's going to happen to the Jewish nation of Israel. It's always focused on the future to come. This forward thinking can be summarized in that one word. When you talk about Messiah, you're talking about the future. They understood that. We don't. In some countries, if you go to Mexico, whenever you have people in a, a, a country that suffers, you'll find people enjoy music, and they'll, they'll, they'll be content because they, they're, the poor countries of the world seem to have a sense of contentment that our country doesn't have with all the material blessings. But for some people, like in Mexico... Their, their hope is manana, manana, it'll be better tomorrow. And golden age. When, you remember the Elton John song? I remember when Rock was young. I, I remember when, back, try to remember. When you, you go back, the good days were in the old days, and so people wanted the past. And so you got this tension where the past was the perfect. The past was the ideal. The past was the best. The past was the golden age. And that's true for us. As you understand, the Bible talks about Adam and Eve being created in a garden. And the past paradise was really the ideal life. But because of the fall, we left paradise. And the Jewish person would pick this up and say, in contrast... We understand this is not about man's descent into sin and separation. For the Jewish man, it's about the future. It's not about what happened in the past. It's moving on. It's getting over there. And don't look past. But this projection into the future, they would understand that when the Messiah would come, he would bring about a new kingdom, a new ideal. And so this Messiah is tied to an understanding of what's going to happen to Israel. And there are two things, two things that they understood about the Messiah. One, it was about the man. It would be a personal Messiah, an embodiment of the son of David that was going to complete that covenant, and there was one who was going to come, and when he, came, when he would come, he would establish a reign, a political reign, 
And that reign of his government would make everybody stable and he would be called the Prince of Peace. And those who were in Israel who followed the Messiah, the Israeli Messiah, that they were required to be people of justice, people of righteousness. And so this country would be different as God's people to be a light to the nations because they would have a Messiah and it was their Messiah. But he wasn't their Messiah because there was more than just this personal king that you have that's going to conquer the political system. He'd be a personal Messiah, but he would lead you into the era of the Messianic age. And this idea that the timing and the focus of this Messiah was not only to deal with the personal and the political, he was doing with the cosmos where he was going to restore heaven and earth into one. This is the kingdom. This personal Messiah, because of Israel's history, living through Egypt, going into the promised land, always being attacked, always being persecuted, the Jews always had a minor role and were always on a defensive position. The thing that unified most Jewish people, and they would identify even today, that which unifies the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and Israel today and elsewhere around from, from Moscow to Treblinka to Israel. What unifies and identifies the Jewish person today is one word. Suffering. Jewish people know pain because they're a minority. They've always been attacked, persecuted. And they know that what they would want was someone who would alleviate us from this political oppression of the Romans, of this system of just, they, they hated being slaves. And therefore the longing, oh, is there a king coming? And when he comes, it will be glorious. I wait for that day. I, I believe in that day. I believe in the Messiah. And that Messiah came. And he would be satisfying that covenant that David said, and he would bring together in David, not just a king, he would bring the ideal king. Because here is a just king. Here is a righteous king. Here is a king, here is a king to honor. And he would bring the whole country up to a national glory because he's our Messiah. And so people wanted to follow Christ, but they expected him to undo the political system. But he was also a personal Messiah. Besides being a political liberator, this Messiah would also do something else. He would change your heart. He would bring about spiritual regeneration. He would bring life to a system that had no life because it was just a system. But when he came on the scene, he invited. It would be where people would be into a personal relationship. And that relationship would be where people would be touched by the kingdom values of mercy and forgiveness and healing and righteousness. On the personal level, they were embraced by this Messiah. And this Messiah would not only give stability to the country, he would give stability to the soul. What a Messiah. 
That's what the shalom, that peace. It's the only political system in the world that to get into this kingdom, you have to know the king by first name. And to be sitting down with the king and to be called daughter, to be called son by the king. Wow. Unbelievable. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace. Is it your king or my king? But I just want to share with you real quickly. This king doesn't come just for the national glory. He comes for the redemption of Israel. And when he comes, he would come into the houses of people. Remember he went to the wedding feast? And that wedding feast, he entered into the celebration of the union of man and woman. He would celebrate that. He went into Peter's house. He went into the needs. And in the needs, he would heal Peter's mother-in-law. He would go into Zacchaeus's house and say, Zacchaeus, you and all of your people who are staying outside of the temple, I'm coming to visit you and your friends. He would pursue them. Remember Mary and Martha? Preparing for this king. They knew Lazarus, and they were good friends. And, and Mary sat at the feet of Christ, and Martha was busy with her preparations. So i got to get some food ready. And Mary forgot that Jesus was in her house, but she was in his universe. He could have made bread, but he didn't. He fed 5,000, but the passage is that this king is inviting people to a table and a great feast, and he would go out and invite people. He wants to meet you and me at table. And that's the symbol, the Jewish symbol of a Messiah is that you sit down at table means that you're reconciled. You understand this Messiah. I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door, for he says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. What happens when you dine with people? You talk. You talk about the day. You talk about the past. You talk about crazy week it is. But you talk. And you can talk to the Messiah. You can talk to the prophet. You can talk to the priest. You can talk to the king. But he's personal, accessible. How do you prepare for this king? You open your heart. You prepare your heart to receive this king. And as he gives himself to you, you give yourself to him. This is exactly what the, the Jews wanted and didn't understand. But this is what we celebrate as we come into. And I don't want you to miss this. This is not about Christmas as we know it. This is about the kingdom coming for you to enjoy the king. Let me stop here. We'll continue next week. Isn't this fun? It lifts me up. I just thank God for this message. It's so different from... Black Friday and Cyber Mondays. They last longer.